From Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. And thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. And we continue to discuss angelic interventions this hour. Ali Anderson Henson, Donna Howell, the co-authors of Encounters, Extraordinary Accounts of Angelic Intervention, and what the Bible actually says about God's messengers. Uh, Before we get back to that conversation, a quick programming note. Coming up next week, filmmaker, ufologist James Fox will be here for the full two hours discussing his new documentary, The Phenomenon. Uh, And then in two weeks, uh, lawyer Rocco Galati will be here. Uh, Not sure um, if you've been following Rocco's exploits. He's been very active on Twitter, but he's also been very active in the courts uh, fighting uh, the uh, the lockdowns and the protocols and so forth. And he obviously has a lot to say uh, about how COVID has been uh, handled. And I think he's doing a tremendous work in this regard. One of the few people who's actually standing up and pushing back uh, by legal means, of course. I'm not advocating anything illegal here. Let's be clear about that. But uh, Rocco Galati will be here in two weeks. All right. So I want to start with a couple of the angelic encounters in the book and Dorothy Spaulding. I wanted to start with hers because I believe there's actually two encounters with Dorothy. And was that, Allie, was that um, a story that you were told by Dorothy? Yeah, she had two stories that she told. Both happened to her late at night. One was she had been ministering in a team, and the team had been getting on this public uh, bus system, and her other half of her team, well, more than half, everybody on the team except her got put on a different bus, and she ended up on one by herself. And she got on the bus, and the bus driver said something to the effect of, you're going to have to talk to me and help me stay awake. And she, she talked to him for a while, but she fell asleep. And when she woke up, she heard shouting, and the bus driver had fallen asleep. He had drifted across the lanes that were traveling the direction that they were going through the median and hit some trees on the way through the median and was headed into oncoming traffic. And she she just immediately started praying and said, in the name of Jesus, nobody on this bus will be hurt. And the bus literally lifted and went all the way back across the median out of oncoming traffic and back into the lane where it belonged. And it went to, if I remember right, it went to the far right lane in this highway, because it was a highway that had more than one lane traveling each direction. It went all the way to the far right lane. And the bus driver pulled over and looked at the bus, and even from hitting the trees in the median, there wasn't a scratch on the bus. And he got My back word. on the bus and he told her, I'm sure glad you were on here tonight because she immediately had started praying in the name of Jesus. Nobody on this bus will be hurt. She never saw an angel, but it has to be an angelic intervention when the bus lifts up and goes all the way across the highway and back into the far right lane. Right, right. Do angels, I would imagine they would have tremendous physical strength, or do they also have other powers do we know of can they perform sort of acts of levitation or would they literally pick the bus up with their arms i'm not sure physically how they go about it because the bible doesn't 100 percent describe all of these things but i can tell you that in acts 12 you know peter is in prison and the angel goes into him the chains drop off the gate is unlocked 
He's able to completely walk out. Guards who are nearby, uh, if you've ever heard a heavy chain drop to the ground, it's loud. They didn't wake up. They stayed asleep. So this angel was able to manipulate a lot of things in the physical realm. So we know that they have a lot of power to manipulate things. In the physical realm, they can interact with with animals. We see that in the story with Balaam's donkey and numbers. You know, uh, we already have talked about the fact that they can appear in our dreams, they can fly. I mean, they really do have a lot of power in our physical realm. We discussed Dorothy's first encounter. There was Mm -hmm. a second one. Yeah, her second one, she was actually saved from a sexual assault. So what happened was she was driving, uh, and she was driving a borrowed car, and anybody who... Anybody who runs their gas gauge down to E, which I'm terrible about, you know how far you can push your car before you're actually going to run out of gas. Well, this was a borrowed car, and she was on E, and she was down kind of below E, and she knew she couldn't push it very far, and she couldn't get to a gas station. So she pulled over. She was driving along by some water, and she pulled over off the road and went down to this place below where there were a bunch of people uh, kind of on the side of a, a big river, and they were fishing, and she said, can any of you help me? I'm, I need gas. And this man came up and got into the back of his truck and got a, a gas can out, and he was pouring this gas into her car. And she said she just felt impressed to talk about Jesus the whole time. So she's saying, he's pouring this gas in her car, and she's saying, do you know about Jesus? Do you know he loves you? Do you know he has a plan for your life? And she just kept saying this kind of stuff. And... Um, So he finishes putting the gas in her car. She gave him $5, and he told her, okay, go ahead and get in it and see if you can get it to start. Well, she gets in the car, and he starts to come in behind her, and he's putting his hand on her thigh, you know, doing some things that let her know that he's got some intentions to take advantage of her. And she said her immediate thought was to say, in the name of Jesus, you can't touch me. I'm a minister. And the guy kind of, he it took him aback, you know, he kind of stepped back and he kind of looked at her, and it stunned him, but he started coming into the car again, and he, tr- he tried it again. And she said, in the name of Jesus, you cannot touch me, I am a minister. And she said, immediately, an invisible force picked him up and took him backward many feet and froze him still in this parking lot. And she said he was just standing there, completely still, couldn't move his arms or legs, looked completely stunned. And then she said she felt God basically impressing her drive, get, go, get out of here, get to safety. And she drove away. She said that as far away until he faded into her rearview mirror, he was still frozen in place. Wow. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah, uh, has yeah anyone, absolutely. Has anyone and, ever and captured... what she said is that, oh, you know, oh, go ahead. God helps us because we call on his name. Both times she said, in the name of Jesus, and that's when the help was dispatched. So that's part of her story is remember whose child you are and who you call on for help, and he will send help when you need it. Right, right. Have you ever seen, I don't know, photographic evidence? Has anyone ever claimed to have captured an angel on film, on a video camera, on a still camera? Yes, and in our looking for stories to include in this book, we found a few that seemed very compelling, but unfortunately, there are so many ways <laughs> these days <laughs> that people can doctor mm-hmm. and can tamper with film and photographs and things like that. We, we shied away from anything that couldn't be really verified. And so we didn't end up including a lot of it. But there are, I mean, you can look it up online and you can Google, you know, I 
sentences like, I caught an angel on, on camera. And some of them look really convincing, and some of them look like they might be Photoshopped, but it's very hard with the way deep fake technology is evolving. It's very easy uh-huh. for people to encrypt things over the top of others. I'm sure you're well aware of this. It gets right, real yes. hard to get it verified, and that's kind of where we shied away from some of that. Sure, but would it make sense that they could be captured on film, or would it seem very unlikely that we could capture you know, something that is of the spiritual world, that we could capture that on camera? Do you have an opinion on that? Any thoughts? I believe that if God wanted them to be captured on film, it would absolutely be possible. I don't believe sure. that anything is impossible, and I believe that if for some reason God felt that it would bring glory to Him or make a life-changing situation in someone's life to have it caught on a, on a camera, sure, I believe it could be. Tom Horn is the uh, the founder of Skywatch TV and Defender Publishing, and uh, he's included in the book. He had a rather interesting angelic encounter. I'm not sure if this is your story, Donna, or, or yours, Allie, but whoever spoke to Tom about his angelic encounter, I'd love to hear about it. Okay. Well, it was actually an angelic and a demonic encounter, <laughs> to be honest with you. It was when he was young. And it was one of the early churches he was pastoring. Um, He was an ordained minister for many, many, many years. And so he was having a church service, and toward the end of the church service, there was some commotion in the parking lot. And some people were kind of gathering around this particular car and looking. Well, and as the pastor, you know, immediately he starts to go see what's the trouble. And he heads toward this car, and a young man jumps out. And he's possessed. It took him a while to figure out what was going on. Not very long, but I mean, right at first, he jumps out and he says, I'm going to kill you, preacher. And he starts going, lunging at him and growling at him. I mean, you know, it didn't take him very long to figure out what was going on with him. And he was trying to attack him. And so at this point in time, you know, a lot of the strong men in the congregation gathered around him. They were trying to restrain him. And honestly, with several men, they at times couldn't fully restrain him. And he would just lunge right out of their grip. And he would kind of get subdued, and then he would get this evil look in his eye, and he would jump up again and come after him. This was going on for a little bit, and some point, as people started realizing what was happening, now you've got people standing around praying, and they're calling on the name of Jesus. You know, those that aren't trying to restrain him are standing by praying. And he starts to lunge toward Tom, and some invisible force, very similar to the Dorothy Spalding situation, picks him up, throws him backward 10 feet, and he lands on the ground. Now now a bunch of men jump on top of him. They're able to restrain him. Tom gets closer to him and, um, you know, immediately starts saying, do you want to be delivered from this? And it takes a while to have a conversation with one of these people because the evil entities that have possessed them don't like to let them speak. But eventually they cast the demon out of him, and the young man gave his heart to the Lord. And what was interesting, the girl who had driven the car said that he had come out that morning and he got in the car he looked straight down and he had told her each time she was supposed to turn which way to turn but he never looked up he just knew which way he needed to go at some point during the night he had decided to give his heart to the lord and that was when the conflict for him began (laughs) so Uh yeah and again an an invisible force pulls him backward restrains him and then the the men you know jumped in there and they were praying over him and that was a victory (laughs) but it was an angelic and a demonic encounter Right, and dozens of witnesses. Yes, all the church bodies saw it. Wow. I want to go to the uh, YouTube live chat. We have some questions here. And uh, you betcha, that's his nom de plume, if you will. You betcha asks, do angels watch everything? Do I have no privacy? Are they watching me take a bath? And during all other intimate moments, 
Do they see everything? Do they are they constantly watching us even during our most private moments? Well, my personal opinion is that when an angel is assigned to you, it is watching. And at the same time, I understand how that could be like as you're saying, do I have no privacy? These beings have been watching humanity since the dawn of time. They have seen everything that there is to see. They're not watching in that way. They are watching for your safety. They are watching to keep evil entities away from you. They're watching for, you know, a car that's about to blow out a tire and may crash into you. They're watching for your well-being. They're interested in your soul. If they were interested in the temporal, they might have fallen with Lucifer, and that's not what happened. They, they are not interested in the kinds of things that we think about when we worry about our privacy. They are interested in the final destination of our soul. And the best way I can think of to compare this is to kind of say a doctor will open your mouth and look inside your throat or, or he, may, he may look at your, your body. He's not looking at you in a way that you should be concerned about because the idea is a very good doctor is looking to help you remain safe, remain healthy, and, you know, a good doctor will not be thinking about a patient in the way of an invasion of privacy. And so that, that would be my answer, but I've got to tell you it's another one of those that scholars can debate for a lifetime, but each of them would have a different opinion. So there could be other authorities on that that might give you a different answer that you like better than mine. <laughs> All right. Uh, show Me the Truth 74. I love these handles. Show Me the Truth 74 asks, is there a thin veil between this life and heaven? Has anyone seen it? We know, theologically speaking, okay, this has a lot to do with some of the very heavy research that I've done on Halloween or All Hallows Eve, and so it's not anything that would fit this interview to go into in great depth. But I will say, as far as the veil between us and the unseen realm, it's not something that we as humans have the authority to discuss through any time that we'd like to. But when God gives one of his messengers the authority to move through, they certainly do have the capability to move directly through the veil. There is that veil. I mean, veil, that's an English word, so it, it might make something sound like a curtain that's something you could reach out and touch, and certainly not. It's an incorporeal existence, a realm that is all around. So in the same way that we have spiritual warfare happening all around us, we certainly have something that is protecting us from being able to see it. Uh, by the way, Richard, earlier you were asking about angels being able to see on camera. And sometimes yes. when I go to pipe in into this conversation, I, I, I just don't want to interrupt. But I was going to say something very fascinating about that. In the book of Revelation, when it talks about the angel that is going to proclaim the gospel of Christ and you can't escape this message. It's going to be everywhere. Everybody on earth will be aware of it. And it's just a theory, but it's one of the theological theories that is very popularly postulated by a lot of leaders in the church today or theologians, is that this is something that could be captured directly on camera. And before you know it, it's going to be all over YouTube, CNN, every, every you know, whether it's Real news or fake news, every single, it's going to be broadcasting everywhere because it's going to be a literal angel. Once again, remember that literal angels is not going to be flying around on a cloud with a harp and golden hair. It's not going to be a woman. It's not going to have wings. But 
when the angels in the Bible show up, and this is, this is related somewhat to the veil question, when the angels of the Bible show up, what's the first thing that they say? They always say, fear not. They look like men, and they are described more often than not as looking like a man, being recognized as a corporeal man. doesn't mean that they have flesh. It means they appear to. When they show up and they appear, it's fascinating that the first thing that they always say is, don't be afraid. Fear not. Whatever they look like when they do arrive in that fierceness is very fierce. <laughs> so when, when this, I, I don't want to call it a thing, but when this thing that we don't understand is going to arrive in the book of Revelation in, in this, you know, the futurist theological explanation, when they arrive and they preach the gospel and there is nobody that can get away from that, I don't think it's going to necessarily play out like the clouds part and an angel, you know, kind of leans forward on his elbow and says something real loud, and we all see it from the same cloud angle. I think it could possibly, and I'm not alone in this theory, be talking about something that is literally broadcast over every device, every cell phone. It takes over, right? Anyway, I wanted to throw that out there. So the veil, we do have the veil. It's incorporeal. You can't reach out and touch it. But as far as the research I've done on Halloween, and it is a different conversation, I don't want to go into that tangent. When you look at what happens historically, not necessarily right now, I'm not talking about American soil, but historically on All Hallows Eve, there was reportedly to be a thinning of the veil. And what occurred when that happened was that suddenly the spirit world and by the spirit world, I'm specifically referring to evil here, because the good spirit world, the angels, the angelos, right. the messengers of God, they always have access. The evil has a tendency to peek through as if that veil is not there on one night a year, or at least that is where a lot of that theology comes from. All right. That's interesting. And thank you for adding that to the conversation. We will uh, take a quick time out, come back. We are having some software phone issues, so we'll continue to field calls from the YouTube channel live chat. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll also share some more angelic encounters from Allie and Donna's book, Encounters, Extraordinary Accounts of Angelic Intervention and What the Bible Actually Says About God's Messengers. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Uh, Donna or Ali, one of you earlier mentioned the case of Brian Duval, who is a, uh, a drummer in a Christian rock band and a, uh, well, a husband, father, professional entertainer in Branson, Missouri. I'll get one of you to tell us that encounter. So Brian Duvall, he's a drummer in Branson, he's an entertainer, and he was going through a period of time where he decided to earn some side money, and he was running a mowing business. And so he was mowing at this house, and nobody was home. The house was empty, and his, his mower was a zero turn, and ideally should have had a roll bar on the back, but it did not have one. And the way he was loading it into the back of his truck, he was using the kinds of ramps where there's, a, there's an opening in between them. So he got about halfway up, and there was something. He had done this a million times before, but there was something about the incline of the way he parked his truck that day that as the mower got up off the ground, it was back heavy. It flipped backward. Now, he was seat belted to the seat, 
and it flipped so fast that he couldn't get out from under it. And what it did was it rolled over on him and it pinned him to the ground with his um, with his back of his head and his shoulders on the ground, and his spine curved over the top of him where his knees were kind of more toward his head, basically. And oh, the weight of the mower was on top of his body. And it happened so fast that the, the disengage in the seat that should have caused the mower to shut off didn't work. So I forgot to mention that last night. Um, he's sitting there. He's upside down. He's pinned to the ground under the weight of this zero-turn mower. It's still running, and now it's dripping gas on him. So, Oh, great. I, yeah, I forgot to mention that. It's a very important detail. Um, and so he immediately says, Jesus, please don't let me be alone. And out of his peripheral vision, he's one of these that saw the light in the peripheral vision, um, he, he just heard a voice saying, we need to shut off the mower. And he's trying to figure out how to get to the key, and he's trying to turn it off, and he's having trouble with it, and he's panicking a little bit, which is making him not work so well at figuring this out. You know how your brain kind of freezes when you panic? And the angel just says, we need to do this, tells him how to shut it off. And then it says, and he said this voice was audible, we need to call your wife. And he's trying to get his phone out of his pocket, but the way he's pinched, he can't seem to get to his phone. And, and, and the, the being says, you know, do this, and this is how you get your phone free. And so he, he gets his phone free. He, he manages to dial. He gets her voicemail, and then the angel says, next we need to call. And so this angel is talking him through how to get help to himself in this situation. He ended up staying pinned under that mower, but he did get it shut off. He was pinned under it until the paramedics arrived, and he said that that being stayed by him the entire time and comforted him and reassured him and helped him get help. And he said while he was laying there, he was looking at the sky, and it was that very amazing color of blue that was more than blue and kind of not blue except it was blue. He had a real hard time describing it. But it was kind of a supernatural blue, basically. And the paramedics came, they got him, they got his... And in fact, when the paramedics got there, they started acting like they were going to lift the mower off of him, but that would have created a complication because of the way he was pinned and the way he was attached to it. And the angel said to him, they need to do it this way. And so he told them, hold on, guys, you can't just lift it. You've got to do it this way. And he told them what the angel had said, and they did that, and they were able to get him out of it. They got him, you know, into the ambulance. He got a hold of his wife, and his wife met him at the hospital. But uh, that angel stayed with him until the paramedics had him uh, out from under the mower. And it's it is a- another interesting thing. The paramedics mm-hmm. worked around the angel. They don't step through them. That is another common thing I've heard. When you have a situation where somebody's being ministered to while there are paramedics, the paramedics don't step through them. They somehow unknowingly work around them, which is interesting. That is interesting. And it's also interesting when you contrast Brian Duvall's encounter with Dorothy Spaulding because it's almost a very non-interventionist uh, encounter with Brian Duvall. The angel certainly had it within its power to simply lift that mower, to make everything right with the, you know, the snap of a finger. And yet, he simply talked Brian through it and made Brian do a lot of the, the heavy lifting, if you will. Why do you suppose that is? Why do some angels uh, manipulate the environment and, uh, and manifest things and and others do it this way well the quick answer to that is they're following the orders god has given them 
And so for some people, God is going to say, go in and, and, and completely overthrow this entire situation and fix it. And then in a different person's life, God is going to say to the angel, go and minister to that person while they continue to endure what they're enduring. I can't answer for all of that because each of us has a different path, but I will say that Brian Duvall believes that while he was in the hospital bed um, being, you know, worked on for these injuries, um, he believes that he had a a real life... um, epiphany, where the direction of his life and his position with God and a lot of things about his direction in general uh, were, were, re, were redefined by the experience. And so maybe that's why. Maybe because ultimately what we do with our soul is more important than what our body goes through. And so maybe it's because God says, I'm going to let you endure this because the condition of your soul will be improved. Interesting, interesting. Uh, going back to the live chat, I have two questions. I'm going to kind of roll into one, and I hope uh, A, Leon, and Chad will forgive me, but there's kind of a madness to my, uh, or a method to my madness <laughs> here, uh, because they're, they're, uh, both of these uh, people are asking about angels uh, and ghosts and aliens, and I'm just going to kind of reshape the question a bit, because I'm wondering if angelic encounters have been perhaps conflated with or confused with something of a different paranormal nature. For example, uh, an angel, an angelic encounter might be perceived as a ghost or may be perceived as some sort of an alien encounter. I will uh, speak to that super quick. First of all, it, it, it is technically possible that that they would show up in a way that doesn't just look like a man, like we've been talking about, the fear-not man. Uh, because, again, they do show up in, in places, of, it, it, regardless of the fact that we've got the seraphim and the cherubim, which are completely different created beings, we do have an angel, the Bible says angel, that shows up in Revelation with one foot on sand, one foot on sea, and his, his head is like a rainbow. So would it show up as a ghost or an alien? I think that really depends on the person's personal interpretation. Is it possible that it would look ghost-like and later be described in in words that sound that way? Possibly. But I don't think that the person who viewed this messenger of God would ever state, oh, this angel was a ghost. I mean, they might say, you know, it was a spirit, and the words later on get misconstrued and sound to that degree. But here's what we can remember. In the Genesis 6-4 narrative, what we're dealing with is a fallen angel, right? So I'm going to get through this as quickly as I can. When the angels fell, they were no longer uh, the same kind of being that is referred to in Matthew when Jesus is talking about how the angels, um, he's talking about these incorporeal spirits, and he says that, you know, angels, like in heaven, they will not marry or whatever, and there's this whole question about whether or not angels have a gender, and, and how, if they, if they don't marry or are given in marriage in heaven, then how come when they fell, they were able to reproduce with the women and the Israelites and do this Nephilim thing? The answer is the fact that when they fell, they became a different being. So when we look at what appears to a person today, getting back to the original question, um, if this being appears and there is any level of, of fear that there is something evil going on and you test the spirit, same way Ali said earlier from First John 4, you give it the spirit 
test. You say, who do you believe that Jesus is? It doesn't matter if it looks a certain way to one person and a certain way to another person. Angels are intrinsically spirit. They are incorporeal. They don't have flesh. They take on the appearance of flesh. They, they, they have moments where in, uh, throughout Scripture we have been able to interact with them. They have been able to eat. They have been able to touch us. They become something that we can physiologically interact with. But by nature, these are incorporeal spirit beings. It, it, God could make them appear in any number of different ways. I've even heard uh, a woman suggest that this white dog that appeared to her one day was an angel. I don't necessarily believe that that's um, 100% reliable theology, but what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's God's prerogative how an angel will appear. The bottom line is not how will it appear, it's who does he say God is. That's what we need to be thinking about. We are not supposed to be uh, interacting with or putting our faith or our trust in anything that cannot instantaneously and immediately say, yes, the, you know, the, the First John 4 test, the testing of the spirits, Jesus is the one who, who died, was raised and ascended and is at the right hand of the Father. Worthy is his name. This is the test of the spirits. And if they can pass that, the Bible makes it very clear this is something that this is something that works for the same Lord that we serve. If it's somebody who di- redirects your question, well, hang on, let's not talk about Christ. First, I want to tell you about what happened over here. You see this car or whatever, whatever it is. If they redirect or they can't specifically worship God on a dime, that's not whatever it is, whether it looks like an alien or not, that is not of God. Excellent point. All right, we'll uh, take another time out. Come back, more angelic encounters and more questions from our YouTube live chat and uh, the book again. Encounters, extraordinary accounts of angelic intervention and what the Bible actually says about God's messengers. Allie Anderson Henson and Donna Howell, stay with us. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. I'm going to go right to the YouTube live chat for some questions. Diecast Garage asks, how do our prayers empower angels? Uh, Ali or Donna, either of you can feel that one. How do our prayers empower angels? When we pray. We are directing, and I want, to, I want to be careful with the word energy because it's been kind of taken over by New Age movements, but what I mean when I say energy is I mean our focus, our trust, our faith. If I sit down and I pray and I read my Bible, I am putting my energy into my relationship with God, okay? Um, when I pray to an angel, uh, if, I, if I'm praying to a holy angel, it will stop me. Which means if it's accepting my prayers, I am now directing my, my focus, my resources, my time, uh, my, my thoughts, my energy, uh, all of these things, I focus them into a negative entity which feeds the negative forces in my life because I'm welcoming more of that kind of power. When I sit down and I pray to God and I invite Him into my life, I read my, like I said, I read my Bible, I pray, every time I run into a problem and I'm asking Him to help me with that, basically every time I lean on God and I interact with Him in any way, I'm saying, God, I need more of you in my life, I can't do it without you. And so, if we are, 
if we are praying to angels, we know that a holy angel won't accept it. So we know that if it's accepting your praise or your prayers, that it is an evil entity, what you're doing is you're saying, more of you are welcome here in, in my life. And what that does is they moths to a flame. They will answer that call. And pretty soon you will have so much negative spiritual warfare surrounding you. It's, you know, when, when people hit a certain level of that, it becomes very hard to dig out of because, you know, you're, you're, you've, got to, you've got to call on God and have him really rescue you from that, which is the only way to handle that anyway. But people who have invited a lot of it into their life, those spirits don't like to let go, and so there's a harder fight when they decide that they didn't want to invite that into their life. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. That's fascinating. Now, if, if uh, God decides uh, that someone needs to struggle uh, in order to perhaps purify their soul, does he, maybe they need to be, maybe, you know, maybe they need to endure some sort of a, an illness. Does God dispatch an angel to to uh, to carry out that judgment, if you will, or to carry out that action, maybe even to make that person sick? Does he allow the the fallen angels to do that? How does that work? I don't believe that he allows the fallen angels to incite judgment on somebody who he is allowing to go through a time of trial because it's for their help. Ultimately, if if a time of trial is because God is working something in your life, a fallen angel wouldn't want any part of that anyway. So they're likely not going to even cooperate. Um, however, you know, there are times in the Bible, we see what Job went through. Job never understood for the longest time why he was dealing with what he was dealing with. And um, we, don't, we don't necessarily see that that was angels administering a judgment to Job. It was just God allowing Job to go through a really hard time. Now, in that time... Satan actually did inflict a lot of things, but we, we kind of see the backstory on that, um, because Satan was trying to work something evil. And we also see that God allows other things that aren't necessarily an angel. You know, uh, people right now, people are catching viruses. You know, I, it's, it's not necessarily uh, an angel of death or, or some kind of an evil entity or a good entity. We live in a biological, physical world where some things are just flawed and these things kind of happen. Um, and in addition to that, then we see the plagues of Egypt <laughs> where the angel of death, you know, went and, and put a plague on the home of everybody who wasn't covered in the blood. So I guess my quick answer to that is God uses uh, all of the resources that he put within his creation to work all things good for those that love the Lord. And so it could be a mixture of any of these things, but I don't believe that when he's allowing somebody to go through something bad, he sends a fallen angel to incite it as a judgment, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, a quick question here from Not Gordo. Not, K-N-O-T, Gordo asks, do animals have guardian angels? Going back to George Pember, okay, he wrote Earth's Earliest Ages. He also wrote the book Animals. Specific, it's a book that is specific to all questions about animals and theology. Now, there is a, a long-stated theology under George Pember and a lot of other theologians and uh, actual church historians who agree with him that... Uh, 
when you take, so, so there's two different kinds of animals, biblically speaking here. There is the animal that is the beast of the field, generically. You know, a cow that you might have slaughtered or whatever. It lives out in the bushes. Sometimes we don't even know that they exist because they are wild bred and we don't even know that they're there before they pass away. These, uh, I don't want to say random animals as if they don't matter, but random to us. They are not taken into our home under our dominion, renamed and given an identity that is spiritual. Okay? Now, fast forward to you have a cat or you have a dog. All right? The theology under George H. Pember of his book, generically called Animals, same guy who wrote Earth's Earliest Ages, an amazing theologian of his day, is that when you do adopt an animal, you bring it into your family, you name it, whatever name that you give it, and you take it under your dominion, it becomes uh, a part of your family, not necessarily in that it suddenly has a soul, but it becomes, uh, according to this theology, something that you will continue to have as an inheritance under your dominion in heaven. Now, that's just a theology. I'm not saying that's what I personally believe, although I will say that's a very convincing theology. So, if you have uh, an animal that you really, truly love, and it's a part of your family, and you've doted on this thing and bought it gifts, and it has its own stocking every Christmas, and this is a different kind of animal than generic beast of the field. That kind of an animal wouldn't necessarily uh, have its own guardian angel. Theologically speaking, there is no grounds for that. However, my uh, guardian angel might take under its Wing, I don't mean wing. <laughs> there we go, angels right. and wings again. Take under its protection the interest of that animal in the interest of my feelings, my heart, my uh, general interest in life, and, and my closeness with the divine because of how the divine uh, communicates to me through the beauty of this animal that I've taken under my dominion. So, Got it. That's, put, a, that's a great answer. I like thing. that theology. I hope, I, I hope this George Pember is right. I hope that's true. I like that. We'll uh, take another time out, come back uh, more with Ali and Donna Encounters right here on The Conspiracy Show. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Uh, Allie Anderson Henson, Donna Howell, how do we get a copy of uh, Encounters? You can go to skywatchtvstore.com, and uh, Encounters is, is there. You just type in the word Encounters. Um, it's, it's by me, Allie Anderson Henson, and Donna Howell. Um, it's skywatchtvstore.com. It's also right, on Amazon. Okay, terrific. Now, let's go back to the YouTube live chat. Silver Sailor asks, uh, do we ask Jesus or God to send his angels to protect us, or do we ask the angel directly? Well, I think we know the the last part of that is not uh, the way to do it, but do we ask Jesus or God, or does it matter? First of all, I would like when we look at the Bible, it says, my help comes from, uh, from the Lord, which made the heaven and the earth. God is our refuge. He is our fortress. He places his angels' charge over us. So we definitely are delivered because we call on his name. So it's definitely that we need to ask God for help because he's not always going to send an angel. You know, there are other live human beings that, that also can benefit from being the person who brings us help. It's not always going to be an angel. 
Sometimes it's going to be another person, and through that relationship that's formed, both of you are ministered to. So definitely calling on God is going to be the best way you're going to get the help you need. I would like to commend whoever it was that asked that question, because one of the issues that Allie and I have both laughed about while we were working together in the past is how, how many times people will, and very, very innocently, uh, but they'll pray and they'll direct something to one member of the Trinity that is not necessarily uh, supposed to be directed to, and God knows what they mean, and there's certainly no judgment. But I just thought, wow, how clever that that would be a, a, a specific thing to think about. I loved that. Like somebody will say, you know, like, Father God, thank you for dying on the cross. And it's like, well, Father God did, you know, Jesus the Son did. But that's, that's why when I heard that question, I was like, commend whoever it was that asked that. <laughs> there you go, Silver Sailor. Good question. Um, tell me, we have a few minutes. I think we can fit this one in. Uh, there was a, a very wealthy, uh, fast-living real estate developer in the book named Michael Kerr, who uh, had one angelic intervention and then again another one in later life. Uh, who wants to share that one with us? I can. Mike Kerr, he, uh, he's, uh, here, he, he was in uh, L.A., if I remember correctly, and he... He was a very successful businessman, and he had, uh, he had been injured in an accident, and he ended up on prescription pain meds, and he ended up on them for so long that he became addicted to them. And through a series of events, turned out that he became homeless, and he was addicted to street drugs. And he was really at the end of his rope. And there was this one morning... It's actually a very sad story. He's sitting near this restaurant where in a, in a younger version of his life, he used to meet his dad and have lunch with his dad there. And now here he is outside, homeless, trying to find a place to get warm. It, you know, he's just miserable. And he finally just said to God, either kill me or save me, but I can't do this anymore. And, uh, and he, pre- he prayed that a couple times in the morning. And two men came up to him, one about, I think it was about 10 minutes apart from each other. The one came up and he said, basically, I don't usually do this. I don't usually have extra shoes in my car. He, while he was asleep on the street, someone stole the shoes off of his body. And so, um, so he, this man comes up and he says, y- you look like you need shoes. I just happen to have extra shoes in my car. This is really unusual, but here you go. And he gives him these shoes. And he turns around to thank him. Guy is gone. Uh, again, a few minutes later. And what was interesting was the second one, you know, I I believe that God will let an angel be what he needs to be to make the person do the right thing. So the second guy is actually a little bit condescending. He comes up and he says, I don't usually give money to bums like you, but here, here's 10 bucks. Now, you know, you would think that an angel would be all, you know, glowy and lovey, but, but he said there was something about the attitude of that guy that spurned him because... He had this money, and he's sitting there holding it, and he's thinking, I can go get my fix, or I can change my life. And there was something about the condescending way the man talked to him that made him want to get up and change his life. And so he got up, he he went and bought a bus ticket. He didn't even know where he was going. He gets on this bus, he rides it literally to the end of the line until the end of the bus route, gets off, and he walks down the street and finds himself at this ministry 
that had bought an old grocery store and had turned it into a place that does, you know, professional uh, employment placement. They give you a place to live while you get clean. They give you counseling while you're detoxing, and they help you kind of with life skills and things like that. Totally helped him turn his life around, and he ended up starting a ministry. Um, now, fast forward, you know, uh, many years, he's, he's up riding his, uh, his little ATV up on the mountains near his house, and he lives in an area that it's very snowy. And he ended up, he was on a game trail, and the trail got more and more narrow, and as he's going in, he realizes that he's going to have trouble getting back out. So he decides to back the ATV, and it's, it's right on the edge of an incline where it just it goes down, like really steep. He goes to back it out of this trail he's gotten himself into, and he was watching one side too much, and he hit a rock on one side, and he got, he was, he was just close enough to the edge that it, um, the way it happened was he lost control, and he, he wavered just a little, and basically ended up flipping down the mountain. He just rolled, and this ATV rolled down the mountain while he's laying there injured, and, um, you know, he just believed that this angel helped him because of the way when, when it flipped off the edge, he felt something very distinctly grab him and pull him to a certain place where he would land, not being smashed by the ATV. And, wow. um, and, and, and through all of it, his, his cell phone worked enough that he was able to call a friend and ask for help, which was also a miracle. So he, he believed that he had both of those angelic interventions in his life. And he went back. It, the, the men were gone right away, and it was weird. But later he really went back when he got his life together, and he tried to find those men, and he never could. And he, it's just one of those things. They looked like people, but he's convinced they were angels. And it matches the biblical description of what an angel does, you know, does something that, that spurns you to action, that helps you get out of a bad place in your life, and then they're just gone. I haven't asked either about whether you, either of you have had an angelic encounter. I have not I had personally... an angelic encounter, but I have had God speak to me in dreams and help me with things I needed to know in my life. That's a quick answer. I will t- let Donna answer. Actually, Allie, that's, that's basically exactly what I was about to say. I've had people that have come into my lives and they've said some, some path-altering things to me, and I've never ended up in contact with them again. But it, it's not quite the same as, like, he was there, and then I blinked, and then he was gone. It's not quite that sensational. But I have had people that I would not be surprised to find out later on uh, were an angelic intervention, but I would not go as far as to say that myself. That's, again, the short answer. I've had dreams, a lot of dreams. <laughs> That's interesting. Dreams. How do we know when we're in a dream, that it's a genuine communication from either an angel or, or God. The funny thing about a well, dream first... is that you're not always in a place where you can test the spirit. Sometimes your dreams are just unraveling, and you're going through them, and you wake up and you go, that was weird. Wait a minute, was God telling me something? Or You know, you're not always cognitive enough in that moment. I would say if you're not in a position where you can test the spirits and it's a dream, I would say examine the fruit. If it That's what I was going to say. In your life and brings you closer to God, then it was a message from God, whether it was an angelic visitation or not. Right. All right. We're going to leave it there. Uh, I've learned so much. Thank you again. It was delightful having you on Coast to Coast and equally engaging and um, fascinating tonight. Uh, Allie Anderson Henson, Donna Howell, Encounters, SkywatchTVStore.com, and Amazon. Thank you again, both. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. My pleasure, and God bless. 
All right. My thanks to Carlos Kajina and Ryan White back next week with uh, James Fox talking about his uh, new documentary, The Phenomenon. And then in two weeks, Rocco Galati, uh, attorney fighting uh, the COVID lockdowns. Uh, until then, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.